And today we have now have these like microcultures where health is now steeped into the culture of individual families. It's not surprising if you go to a water park and you see overweight kids, they almost always have overweight parents because they're eating the kinds of foods that the whole family's having. So because lifestyle is, is essentially cultural. When we get unhealthy over 40, it's typically a slow building process of stress, not sleeping well, eating the wrong kinds of foods, and it kind of builds up to the point where you're like you wake up and you're overweight, you know, you have the bad blood work consistently over time. But you can really truly transform your body within one year. On social media especially, we are bombarded with unrealistic expectations. A lot of these online training programs, they promise you change in two months. My personal belief is that like a 14 to 16 hour fast is not tapping profoundly into these deep autophagy and like emptying out physiologies that we get from longer fasts. It's more just like a daily rhythm management tool, but it's it's helpful and, and good. And I am a proponent of people not eating too late because of the impacts on sleep. The problem I've had is that I have been doing fasting for way too long. So I've been doing 16, eight almost every day, right? So first problem I faced was realizing I wasn't getting enough protein in. All eight billion of us are doing metabolism at all times. This show is about learning what metabolism is, how it affects you in every way possible from mood and mental state to performance and energy. We are all about fine tuning the human experience for you to achieve the best self you can be. And if you are someone who loves science, curious to know how your body works and how to optimize it, then you are in the right place. This is the HVMN Podcast. In this episode, we have Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, the founder and CEO of the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project, experienced a pivotal moment in his childhood where he watched his own father work relentlessly only to succumb to illness and pass away at the young age of 42. Anthony was just nine years old at that time. This life-changing event inspired him to dedicate his life to helping busy fathers and mothers aged 40 and above to lose weight, build muscle, and improve their overall health for the well-being for their families. As a licensed naturopathic doctor in Arizona, Dr. Balduzzi also holds dual degrees in nutrition and psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. In addition to his academic achievements, he is a former national champion bodybuilder. Through his unwavering commitments and efforts, Dr. Balduzzi also has successfully helped over 60,000 families across more than 100 countries through his fit father and mother programs. In this episode, we talked about what nutrition plan he used for his fit fathers and mothers, how to stay adherent to it, and what types of exercise should you do if you're over 40. We also talked about stress management, especially for young parents. So I hope you enjoyed this, this episode. Thank you again for listening. We have Dr. Anthony Balduzzi here today at the HVMN podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here, Dr. Lat. Just call me lot. It's fine. You know, we all we all have those titles. Just you know, just a piece it, of paper. It means we went to school and spent we a lot of money. <laughs> there you go. It means that we we came back with a lot of debt. For sure. Yeah. So um, let's start off by telling our audience who you are. What's your backstory? Sure. Well, I, I run two companies called the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project, and we specifically help dads and moms over the age of forty get their nutrition on point, lose weight, build healthy habits, get fit so they can be around for their families. And the reason I do this work, I didn't dream when I was 10 years old playing basketball that I would become focused on over 40 health and fitness was because I basically watched my own family go through pretty tremendous strategy. My dad 
like many guys, basically busted his butt to provide for the family and his health broke down in the process and he got sick. He got a cancer diagnosis and he died when he was 42 years old. So I was nine when I saw that go down. And as you can imagine, it was the most, one of the most painful experiences of my entire life. Um, and it did teach me a lesson from a very young age that made such a big imprint on my psyche. And that's that health is the foundation of everything we love. If we don't have health at the basis of this, we lose our ability to be with our families, to provide, to pursue our hobbies and passions. So in my young mind, I wanted to start to study health and fitness to be able to get myself strong. And so after my 10th birthday was the last time I had birthday cake for over like a decade and a half. And I started to train with the dumbbells that my mom gave me that used to belong to my father. And, and I started to heal. I found that as I started to eat better and I started to move, I started to get stronger and I started to feel more confident. And then over time, I started to help other people, you know, first initially as a personal trainer. And then I became a competitive bodybuilder throughout university and into my 20s. I went to naturopathic medical school because I really understood that this whole component of lifestyle is basically the basis of good preventative medicine. And so I wanted to go even deeper into my understanding there. And when I was in medical school, I just saw so many people like my dad who who knew they wanted to do better, but couldn't actually get a sustainable nutrition plan in place and couldn't find time to exercise. So I started to develop the programs that I wish my dad had, and certainly my mom, as she was trying to take care of our family as a single mom. And that's the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project. And I'm pleased to say we've had, I'd say between the two programs, roughly around 70,000 parents in over 100 countries go through the program and create incredible results. And, and I think a lot of it is certainly the science of nutrition, but maybe more importantly, the art of getting a nutrition and exercise plan to fit into a busy parent's lifestyle, a way that's like age appropriate, joint friendly, and actually like fun to stick to. So that's where I spend my time. And, and I'm grateful to, to be here today and to share some of the stuff I've learned and to kick around some ideas about nutrition. Wow, thank you very much for sharing your story. I can definitely relate that relate to that because I lost my dad when I was 17. Uh, and he was 63. He had stroke. Uh, had a stroke and then before a few years be before that he had a heart attack and ha had an open heart surgery so and that was also what driven what what drove me to study uh, physiology metabolism and health in general and you know apply it to myself because I know genetically I'm predisposed to such you know illnesses but there are things that we can do in order to either prevent it, prolong, you know, the off onset of it as much as possible. Or right now with the technology and with the methods that we have discovered via science, we can essentially not have to, we can essentially avoid it altogether um, throughout our lifetime. So that's what's so great about what we do and what we share with our audience here. So let's start uh, talking about the Fit Father Project. You started Fit Father Project first, and then you you did the Fit Mother Project. So, apart from your your personal story motivation, like what? How did you you begin? You know, even start there because I know you you did your own transformation and all that. But what made you want to start helping other people as well? Well, you know when you're on a health journey yourself and, and you get healthy and you experience like the goodness that comes into your life, the confidence, the energy, the clarity of mind and the strength in your body. Like it's an, I think it's an innate human experience to want to share the goodness and the stuff that feels most true to us. So I was always interested in sharing and it was first largely through the fitness perspective. As I, as I mentioned, I was a competitive bodybuilder and really into the fitness aspect. And I'm glad I went through that because I got to learn what to do with supplementation, with macros and training plans and all that, which is certainly important to help people transform. 
And when I was, I'd say maybe over like around a decade and a half ago, I started um, making websites and, and wanting to share health information on health books I was reading. It was called like Healthy Bookshelf was my first website. And then I started to create meal plans for dads. I was thinking about my dad at the time and I'm like, man, he just needed to eat better. And I want to take what I know about holistic nutrition and habits and, and create a meal plan. So the Fit Father Project started off as the Fit Father meal plan. And then it grew into a very comprehensive program over a decade of refinement and running all the people through. But I always had a desire to, to want to share the things that were so deeply impacted me. I mean, kind of like the reason you're here with your education and, and now you're here like being a champion for these messages and sharing so much. I think it's just natural to want to share. And, and health too, I think has become so popular. It always has been, but I think even more so today than ever, because we're starting to realize how interconnected this area of how we eat and move is to everything to certainly to our longevity, but also just to our quality of life and our experience. And today it's so weird that there's this bifurcation between the healthiest people that have probably ever lived might be now and today because of all the science optimization, our understanding of foods, our bio-specific nutrition stuff. And at the same time, we probably have the unhealthiest people that have ever lived because the baseline options right now are so inflammatory and, and terrible. And so it's important, I think, for us to have this message to help guide people in their own way to the healthier path. And I think your program is in such an opportune moment that it's it's being um, conceived and shared because the parents these days, they are of our generation who, you know, we grew up with internet. We know, like, we, we know what to search and more tech savvy versus our parents' generation um, who might not be as, uh, you know, my mom certainly is not as tech savvy as, you know, most, most mothers and, and fathers. So I think now people, one, they're more conscious, conscious about their health and two, they are able to, um, find resources that they need in order to optimize it. Yeah. And I also think like, not to, I know and you probably have another question. I think it is important because you brought up parents. Mm -hmm. Like health is really is like nutrition in particular has been steeped into the aspect of culture of human civilization for as long as we've had. And today we have no have these like micro cultures where health is now steeped into the culture of individual families. It's not surprising if you go to a water park and you see overweight kids, they almost always have overweight parents because they're eating the kinds of foods that the whole family's having. So I'm also looking at it as like from a preventative medicine standpoint is like, how do we prevent the next generation from having to go through the unwinding process of losing 50 plus pounds and changing their relationship to food. Well, it starts, I think with families. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping fathers and mothers get healthy. Cause then we can have fitter kids and then we can kind of change the trajectory long-term. That is such a great point. It is such a great point because lifestyle is, is essentially cultural, right? Uh, what you eat, when you eat, how much you eat. Um, they're all basically, uh, determined by, the, the parents and the family and, and you know, until the kid is of a certain age and that sort of culture also carries forward. So I think that is a great point. Um, if you want to change, if you want your kids to be healthy, I think, you know, being the role model would be such a, a great thing to do uh, in influencing your kids to make healthier choices. Um, can you share some success stories on um, your, your fit father and mother um, project? I think a lot of people would love to hear some, you know, interesting stories that you, you can share with us. For sure. I mean, we've had, we've had insane stories, like one that immediately comes to mind because we always love to see the absolutely heroic weight loss stories is we have one member, Steven Alexander in his sixties lost 200 pounds 
over the course of like 18 months and now runs marathons with his daughter. And like, this guy was like the furthest thing from running, you know, about that amount of time. And so what I think is so profound about the body, and I'll share some more stories in the process is that when we get unhealthy over 40, it's typically a slow building process of stress, not sleeping well, eating the wrong kinds of foods. And it kind of builds up to the point where you're like, you wake up and you're overweight, you know, you have the bad blood work consistently over time, but you can really truly transform your body within one year. Like you can unwind. I'm not saying you're unwinding all the damage, but you can create good cardio metabolic health and fitness and routines within six to 12 months. And that's what I think is so cool about the body is it can adapt and you can go back. And we have some guys like a program member, Andre, who was in the military in Canada, like special forces, like he's now 45 in the best shape of his life. And he does like his circuit training his good nutrition and all these kinds of things. And so I think there's this mentality that needs to die. That's kind of rooted in our culture that we're like over the hill and that our best days are behind us. Once we hit a certain time, I think it's more so that your routine needs to be even more dialed in that you have lower margin for error that you need to build muscle mass as you age, and that there is greater consequences to eating the wrong kinds of foods for your particular body and inflammatory foods. You just can't get away with what you used to. But if you do get this stuff on point, I think your 40s, 50s, and 60s can be your best years to date because you have the wisdom. You oftentimes have more financial resource. And now you have like, you see the bigger picture of what's really important. So you can really channel that motivation into something that goes beyond just vanity metrics of wanting to look a certain way. You have a deeper connection to the fulfillment of why it's important to live healthy. Um, and we have other members, I mean, who start strength training for the first time in their, in their sixties and, you know, have the six pack abs and stuff like that. And it's just, it's beautiful to witness what the human body and the human mind is capable of and to celebrate in, in shared community. I think that's what's so cool about fit father and fit mother is we have all the people, not just following the programs by themselves, but they're kind of sharing and, and in this, in this cool space where it's just something with the human psychology. When we see other people doing good stuff, it makes it easier for us to succeed as well. Now, if they're not a parent, can they still join that, that program? We have some people who like slide in who aren't parents and it's and like our program like totally still works, right? I mean, they're good principles of nutrition and, and we really, we really like gear things to make it so it works for like busy people. Mm -hmm. Um, and which I think is like the key crux of being a parent is just your bandwidth is often taxed. You need to have something that's sustainable. Um, but yeah, we have a couple, we have some non-parents, uh, I'd say probably 90% of our program plus 95% is parents. So I think as, as you scale, you might need to rebrand that, you know, <laughs> once you get like the hundred million people following your program, say, like, Hey, I'm not a parent, but I'm aging and I want to be fit. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing I'll say this is, um, what I've realized from at least now I'll speak for more like the business side of being in the health game for, you know, almost like a decade and a half now is there are so many people who can help people. And there are so many great resources. Like this podcast is a phenomenal one, many great programs. I, what I think is really important at the basis of any kind of sustainable change is having a really deep connection to like, to, to why you're doing what you're doing. And this is why we see people who choose to follow like very specific diets, like carnivore or plant-based. They, it's not just like, it's more of like a religious thing for them. Like they're very committed to the ethos of a thing. And so for us, we're looking at people whose core value and primary value is being a great parent, showing up for their kids, being able to be around. And I think the reason our program works so well is not just because we have good nutrition, exercise, supplementation, and lifestyle guidelines. It's because people connect in a deeper way through this vehicle and this lens of being a parent that actually changes their psychology and makes it a lot more likely that they, they stick to things. And I think integrating 
the psychological aspect with the behaviors of the nutrition is the key to creating that lifestyle change. It's not just like what to do. It's the why and the what that meld together into something that feels like a powerful lifestyle. Yeah. And another great thing that you mentioned um, that I want to reinforce is that you said it is possible to change your, your body comp, to change your lifestyle in six to 12 months time. And I think that is a very realistic expectation because some of us um, on social media, especially, we are bombarded with unrealistic expectations, right? Um, a lot of these online training programs, they promised you change in two months, in six weeks, right? And yes, you probably can. I'm not saying that you can't make that change. You can, but the program and the nutrition that they give you is like severe calorie restriction, um, very, very intense workout. And if you can go through that, you will go through the change, but then what comes after is the problem, right? Um, is it sustainable? Is the, the change going to be more detrimental to your well-being in the long run rather than, you know, being additive to um, the, the overall quality of life. So I think that that's a good point to point out as well. And if you're not building habits, I mean, you're kind of wasting your time. I think that's a cool thing about the, the parenting perspective is it's oftentimes a longer term horizon than just short term kind of stuff. So yeah, we're all about sustainability. And I think making it so that the nutrition plan that let's just say Jerry follows versus the one that Bob follows um, are going to be different. And, and they're going to be different because it's going to need to fit Jerry's lifestyle. It's going to need to reduce friction points in terms of when he eats, in terms of meal timing, what are his go-to foods? Like, how does it fit with his family life? Like all these considerations are essential because where people fall off track with the nutrition is not just knowing what foods are healthy and not. It's like all the friction points. It's the integration into the life. Like, and that's the art of nutrition coaching, which I think is even more fascinating in some respects than the science, because that's where the rubber hits the road and whether or not someone succeeds largely doesn't come down to how much they know it's what they actually can do. 100% agree. Like I, I'm really interested and passionate about the science. And I, to me, that's super interesting. But why I'm doing what I'm doing today, being the research leader of HBMN, being the host of HBMN podcast, it's because I know the importance of connecting the science with the applicability of the science to begin with, because what use is the knowledge and the science if people can't take away any points to apply to their lives in order to optimize their health, right? So I think I think that connection, that bridge has always what I've seen as, as something that is a bit disconnected, a bit a bit of a gap. Um, and I, I, you know, at a, a young age, even when I started, first started studying science, I wanted to be that bridge to translate science into something that is more applicable, uh, but yet, you know, be, be really data-driven, evidence-driven. Well, I'll tell you this, like, I don't know if anyone's told you this today, but congratulations, you're doing it. I think that's really awesome. Like, I don't know, your dad's not here to say that, but like, that's beautiful that you set out that goal and you're doing that. So I just want to put some respect on you right now for you're really doing it, man. Congratulations. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And you know, my late dad wanted me to become a medical doctor because growing, growing up in Asia, being a medical doctor is like the, the, the top of, of your game is, you know, the best glory that you can bring to your family and i didn't have that passion right i didn't have that passion to be a medical doctor i i didn't see myself being a medical doctor but i i was really interested in science i was really interested in genetics 
uh, by technology. Um, and my dad literally passed away uh, during during the, like the end of my high school, where I needed to pick a course for my university, and I, the whole family was pressuring me to to pick medicine because that was my dad's dying wish, and I just couldn't like commit to something, especially if I'm dealing with people's lives and I'm like in a profession where your responsibility, your sole responsibility is to save lives. If I don't have the passion to do it, why am I doing it? Because somebody else wants me to do it, right? So I went with biotechnology and I still got my doctorate and I got my doctor title. It's just not a medical doctor. Uh, and now I'm helping people. So, and I'm helping people at a more scalable um, scalable way, uh, I, I would argue. So I think in a way, like, I hope I made him proud. Yeah. I think, yeah, for sure. I think he'd be proud of all is, is that you lived authentically too. And, and you reached a very high level of, of the pinnacle of this health and medical totem pole for what that's worth. And now I'm sure to see the impact you're having, he'd be very proud, but also authentic living. Right. Which I think, yeah. um, which I think is, um, largely what health gives us too. And I know this is a very science-based podcast and a science-based audience. And I, and I would be happy to share some of my thoughts on the science and metabolic basis of our philosophies and programs of Fit Father, Fit Mother. But I also want to like throw out a word that may feel a little dirty in the space, but it's the spiritual aspect. And I think it's what not, I want to- we've, we've actually interviewed um, uh, people who have done like psychedelics, who have done like health coaching, using psychedelics, going through a spiritual journey, meditation. Um, for me, even as a scientist, as, as secular as a scientist ought to be, I do believe in, especially now in my, in my life, um, I do believe in the wholesome view of life, having that emotional, mental, spiritual, physical wellness and health is, is important having all mm -hmm. of that. Um, yeah. So, and, anyway, yeah. And what I want to share is like, is our bodies are these vehicles of experience that we have as humans in these lifetimes and the choices that we make of how we tend to our bodies, which we face daily, how we hydrate, how we move, what we eat, how we sleep and recover. Like these ultimately either create the feeling of vitality, energy, and health, which is the natural expression of the human organism when it's in good abundance. And then what we feel as a byproduct of that is a sense of alignment. We feel clear, we feel energized, we feel aligned, we feel congruence. And like health, the word health literally comes from the old Germanic that means wholeness, right? Wholeness of all dimensions of us, mental wholeness, physical wholeness, emotional wholeness. And I think the spiritual kind of like wraps all that together in a feeling of like connection because you have all these elements. So that's what's so pow powerful about nutrition in particular is when you get someone to start to eat better, their body's changing, their metabolic parameters are changing, they're releasing fat, they're improving insulin sensitivity, blood sugar stable, all of that. But they're literally changing their choices in a way that's aligned with their greatest good. And they're kind of like cleansing themselves emotionally, mentally, and spiritually in the process. They're breaking patterns of old addictions. They're making choices that are more aligned with the, what they want to do. So it's inherently the, one of the most transformational journeys of all time. And if you've been feeling sick and unwell, or you're feeling like your vitality is waning, and you're in your 50s or 60s, like many of our members are, the, the spark of new life can be very encouraging. And that can come very quickly through good lifestyle habits. And even in science like there are studies that showed the aspect of spiritualism uh, really help with longevity so you know they look at communities that live very long and they look at what they do their lifestyle 
spiritual, uh, the, the spiritual aspect played quite a big role in it. And I would argue, and, and the way they interpret it is more, not so much of religion, it's a bit, it's more of a faith and hope and more of a purpose in life. If you have that purpose, waking up every day and having that drive to live happily, to live you know, with your community, to contribute to your community, I think that purpose is what's um, driving people to live longer and healthier and happier. And you know, one thing I noticed yesterday, I was just going through my day yesterday. I, I, I did two podcasts. I, I worked. I um, had some calls. I went to the gym. Nothing special, nothing special actually happened. But at the end of the day, I felt happy. I felt content. And I told myself, I was like, I, I, you know, when, when, something ha- when something like that happens, you're like, you, you try to really collect. And it's like, what, what happened that made me feel happy, right? And I was like, there's nothing specific that makes me happy, but it's an amalgamation of all these things that has gone well, that I have, you know, I'm able to go to the gym, I'm able to to work out and and stick to my program, stick to what I plan to do for the day. That was what made me happy. And life can be as simple as that. You don't need a million dollars to be happy, but if I have a million dollars, I'll be very happy. You know, I'm not going to lie. But sometimes those little things is what make people happy and what make people tick. And that is also what drives people to live a healthier life. You're right. And, and I think if you look at just like the tapestry of a life, what does it mean to live a life, a 80-year life, a 100-year life? It's a series of days. We have this like beautiful circadian rhythm baked into just how the sun moves in our environment. So we have the daytime and the nighttime. So we have this discrete period of time to to create in. And I think the reason you felt happy, at least my interpretation would be, you created a lot of things. You you followed a flow of things. It went well. You created. You danced in these different arenas of physical creation in terms of exercise, mental meetings. You you aligned. You had aligned action, and you had a full day, and you lived life fully that day. And that's that's what I think a good health routine can give people. And to comment a little bit on the the spirituality and the spiritualism thing, is I think this can be very mapped in a very scientific way into the state of the nervous system. I think people that have a, a, a certain kind of faith and a purpose and a connection, whether it's to family, a religion, or just like to their own heart and their own I- intuition, like they're going to be in a more parasympathetic dominant state. They're going to be feeling more connected, more relaxed. And the, the creatures and the beings that live the longest, they, they have a more relaxed physiology. They're not, they're, they can go into sympathetic as needed, right? To, to address short-term stressors or concerns, but they have this very relaxed, connected way of being that could be mapped biochemically with the different hormones associated with those two states, you know, and certainly in the nervous system. And I think that's what a good routine can kind of integrate and give you this more relaxed, connected physiology governed by the states of the nervous system. And obviously how the food and exercise interplays with that is, is the crux of a good lifestyle. I get to interview all these doctors, scientists, and cool people in this health and fitness industry, all made possible because of this podcast that is funded by the company I work for, which is Health Via Modern Nutrition or HVMN. And it is not that they pay me to do this, but I genuinely love and believe in the product Ketone IQ. I use it every day before my podcast, before my workout, or even after my workout for recovery. There hasn't been a single supplement that can give me such a drastic change in subjective feel within minutes as much as Ketone IQ has. For those of you who do not know me, I'm from Malaysia, I got my PhD from the UK, and my passion is in science and chronic diseases, 
And I believe it is all about transparency, scientific integrity, and about sharing with everyone so that everyone can benefit from it. And if you like this content and our work, please do support us by liking, leaving a review, or sharing with your friends and families, or even buying a shot of Ketone IQ at any Sprouts nationwide in the US, and the first shot is on us. Just scan the QR code and you'll get your money back for your first shot. You can also use the code HVMNPOD20, that is H-V-M-N-P-O-D 20, and get 20% off your first purchase at the HVMN website. There you go. That was very well, you know, put together, summarized. So let's get into the science a little bit here. What are the key optimizations that people can do, you know, above 40 to, to really tighten how they live their life and improve health? So I think, um, and we'll talk about behaviors and we'll talk about science. Okay. I, I think a couple things that are important to do in, in like a high level perspective. And now this is like, from me, the guy who designed the nutrition protocol is what we like to do is in the first 30 days is just build people up into a, a into a realm of consistency. So we help people with a daily routine. We help them set a meal timing schedule that works for them. So some people, this might be the classic breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner. For some people, this might be an intermittent fasting framework of some sort. For people who work night shift, third shift, they have a different one. But we help them create like proactive meal timing because I am a big believer that it's better for the body and the physiology to have discrete meals where you eat, the digestive process can happen, insulin can do its thing, and we get back to a baseline state. And we're not constantly snacking or you know, dysregulating blood sugar and doing that kind of like advice that was maybe in the 90s where we just eat small meals all the damn time, where it's better just to have more discrete feedings. Um, and I also think this helps with calorie uh, adherence over the long haul too, to have just like more simple meals. From a, from a behavioral and psychological perspective, what we help our program members do is actually standardize the first couple meals of the day so like, let's just say breakfast or lunch or meal one, meal two, this is a time when people are typically busy. The day's activating. If you have kids, you're tending to your kids or your work. So we like to make go-to breakfasts and go-to lunches. These could be things like any kind of egg-based recipe, overnight oatmeal, some kind of power smoothie, but like there, there's not a lot of thought required. These two foods are typically high in protein, healthy fats, and a certain amount of healthy carbohydrates. We're not a super low carb uh, plan. I mean, I'd say if, if you could look at the amount of carbohydrates that our members typically eat, it would probably be anywhere from on the low end, 75, high end, 200. So it's like a moderate carbohydrate plan, maybe around 100, 150. And this means that people can have a cup of carbs at dinner, 50 grams, and they're fine. Or if someone really wants to go low carb, like they can also just bump the veggies and healthy fats. My point of sharing that is we want to create consistency in the beginning part of the day when it when the day is going to be into flow and you don't want to be thinking too much about what to do. You want meals to stabilize your blood sugar. And so for lunch, it could be the protein bowl. It could be salad with protein. It could be leftovers from dinner the night before, but it's like protein forward, veggies, some amount of healthy carbohydrates, fine. We're even fine with people doing certain kinds of breads, like a sprouted organic bread. A lot of people can tolerate that fine, even if they you know think they have certain kinds of wheat sensitivities. But again, it's what works for the person. I'm also a big believer. So I guess like the concept there is it's about consistency. It's about proper calorie balance. It's not about restricting any given macronutrient. It's about keeping stable blood sugar, but most importantly, having something that's repeatable day in, day out, because it's okay that you eat healthy for one day, but if you fall off the rails, that's a problem. You need something you can kind of like reset back to. Now, another aspect of our, of our program and approach is like most people over 40 are chronically like 
I would say underhydrated. I think a lot of people are in the in the process of drinking lots of coffee and things like this in the morning. So we really do emphasize people drink more water, particularly in the morning, and add in a lot of minerals, uh, trace minerals, mineral drops, even some pink Himalayan sea salt. Like there's a lot of benefit to improving the hydration for people over 40, because in a sense, if we actually look at the physiology, aging is slightly a process of becoming dehydrated. The skin loses hydration. Collagen breaks down. We lose elasticity. Even the discs of our spine lose hydration. We literally shrink. And I'm not saying drinking more water is going to be the crux of like solving that, but the youth is, is defined as having plump, good blood flow, lots of hydration, lusciousness in, in this sense. So like emphasizing on the hydration, I think is a really important thing. And at the very least in the morning, it's a good kickstart and a good little action that you wake up, drink 20 to 32 ounces of pure water, get that in. And then you have your first scheduled meal whenever that is. Another concept that I'm big on is as we get older, we need to balance the idea of fasting and feeding. And I am a big proponent of in incorporating some amount of intermittent fasting into people's plans. And this is not that people need to do this on an everyday basis. And in, in my understanding too, it's not strictly because it's a calorie management tool. I believe there is a distinct benefit to getting the physiology into a more deeply fasted state for the autophagy benefits, for helping people with insulin sensitivity. And I think too, it's like, as we get older, we have an immune system that's becoming more senescent and we want to make sure we can do everything possible to have a strong immune system and to give the body a chance to kind of take out the cellular garbage and to repair some things. So I am an advocate as people get into a little more of a, a rhythm with their nutrition to start doing things like a dinner to dinner fast, a 24 hour fast, maybe a 36 hour fast. And again, it's not just about the calories. This is just a periodic thing to activate that fasting physiology and exercise can do this too. You know, there's ways to empty the tank in, in many ways, but I do believe the fasting feeding thing is a nice thing to play with when you're over 40. I also believe that focusing ever more on like anti-inflammatory foods. So these are typically the whole non-processed foods, but things that like we're getting a proper amount of omega-3s in the diet. We're getting lots of vitamin D in the diet. Uh, we're, we're using things like turmeric, ginger, other kinds of good broad spectrum, natural anti-inflammatories, I think are massively helpful for people as they get older and, and maybe even more important. So I know I've, I've shared a lot in that and I'll pause for a second and we can kind of unpack and, and go deeper as well. I was going to ask in terms of fasting, how often do you recommend your, your near clients to, to go through fasting periods? Okay. So here's exactly how we program it in the first, in the first 30 days of the program, when we're kind of getting people up on baseline, we don't require them to do any fasting. Although we do present them the idea that, Hey, you could have as your baseline meal timing, a intermittent fasting schedule, whether that is, you know, have an earlier dinner and you're going to a you know, 14, 16 hour fast, or if you just shift that first meal back. So some people choose to intermittent fast on a daily basis as a framework. But my personal belief is that like a 14 to 16 hour fast is not tapping profoundly into these deep uh, autophagy and like emptying out physiologies that we get from longer fasts. It's more just like a daily rhythm management tool, but it's, it's helpful and, and good. And I am a proponent of people not eating too late because of the impacts on sleep. And so that is a little variable as they get into like months two, we start to introduce a dinner to dinner fast or a 24 hour fast. It also could be breakfast to breakfast once per week. And some people may go up to doing it twice per week on non-consecutive days. And I think there's a lot of benefits to this habit and practice. One is a lot of people find that it's actually fairly easy to do because it's, it's something that you don't have to add new things in. You just literally just drink water, coffee, non-caloric beverages. Green tea is a great option until 
your your one meal that day. Um, and it's nice because you do get the calorie, <laughs> the calorie deficit is created from that one habit. Um, but also it's good for insulin sensitivity. It does raise growth hormone to a certain extent too. Um, and it's also good for changing people's relationship to their hunger signals where they can kind of observe them and like, yeah, I'm hungry, but I'm also strengthening a sense, a little bit of willpower. We're not relying on willpower. We have a system for just good nutrition, but it does strengthen that. So one, I would say like roughly once per week is, is how we program in these kind of these fasting things. Not everyone does it, but the people that do, they find a good benefit. And it's actually interesting. What I found is like, with the constant weight loss calorie restriction, like when we just like cut calories and we don't want to be drastic about it, the body tends to respond decently well to these intermittent calorie restrictions where you don't seem to have as much of the resistance where leptin levels start to decrease and now you start to get hungrier and it feels harder to lose weight. This intermittent calorie restriction seems to have a, a fairly unique benefit for, for helping people. And I don't know if there's actual data and research behind that. You'd probably know more than me, but what I've found kind of just from observing is a lot of people break, break through weight loss plateaus fairly well with these intermittent uh, 24 hour fasts. This is a really interesting point. Um, I was about to, to, to share my own experience, right? So the problem I've had is that I have been doing intermittent fasting for way too long. So I've been doing 16, eight almost every day, right? So first problem I faced was realizing I wasn't getting enough protein in um, to match my weight and to match my workout. So you know, having that eight hour, I, I wasn't eating enough protein because protein is very filling. So then I upped my protein intake. But then I realized the other problem that comes after is that I usually just have two meals within that eight hours. Having two meals to shove 200 grams of protein in, that's 100 grams each. Then I looked at the studies, you can't even really use up that protein for, for, for muscle synthesis um, more than, you know, 50, 60 grams at a time. And optimally is like 25 to 30 grams, at least one review study that I, uh, I read. So then I realized, even though I'm having enough, quote unquote, enough protein, I am not fully optimizing the assimilation of that protein into uh, my recovery and my, my muscle building. So now I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm back to just a normal you know, breakfast, lunch, maybe a pre-workout meal and then dinner, almost like a full meal um, to try and fix my metabolism. So have you, uh, again, this is my personal experience. It's not from any study. It's something that I realized what I was doing that was not in line with my lifestyle and my goals. Right. Mm -hmm. um, is and what's your something... protein? What's your protein target, by the way? Just so I'm curious, you go in like 1.5 to 1.5 to two grams per kg. Like, I don't I know. I think how much I'm weighs. doing 1.2, I believe. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, um, is that something that you have observed as well with, with your clients? Yeah. I think it actually happens. I observe it more in women than men. Uh, that this kind of the adaptation to the IF, um, where, it becomes kind of problematic to get that amount of food in and the metabolism seems to become a little more resistant to it. Um, but I, again, I, I think the 24 hour fast is an interesting concept or even pushing it to 36 where you can get this pulse of this like deeply catabolic and beneficial metabolism, like once in a while, but and then you go back to, to normal. Yes. Right. And I, and I still think I love the breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner framework. It works really well because in that framework, you're having meals that are having roughly 30 to 40 grams of protein kind of more or less spread across dinner might have like 60 breakfast might have 40 lunch might have 30 and a pre-workout snack of 15. So it's like, you can nickel your way up pretty easily into that amount of protein. 
Yeah, as and as soon as I swap that lifestyle over as well, um, there are certain things that I noticed my my body was doing. Um, one, I was having more energy. I definitely feel more energetic. I feel um, that I could push more at the gym. And secondly, I feel objectively warmer. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's more thermogenesis happening. <laughs> yeah, so which I was like, this this has to be a placebo. After a week, I'm like, no, I can't. I literally can't fall asleep um, without the fan on because I was just just sweating out at night. Um, and I was like, yeah, my body temperature significantly increased. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I'm still experimenting now. Um, I think right now I managed to increase carb intake and increase my calorie intake significantly without gaining weight. And so, so you go, you're doing a metabolic, you're fixing your metabolism through yeah, the incremental exactly. increase of the carbohydrate intake. And that's great. So one thing that we do that actually I think is, could be helpful for that. And this is something that I did quite a bit when I was into bodybuilding and fitness um, is doing the carbohydrate refeeds periodically, like high carbohydrate days and stuff like this. And like the way I don't, I don't tell people to do it as scientifically as I did when I was a bodybuilder, where you'd have like low fat, high carb refeed days to stimulate leptin once in a while and like have this overfeeding of carbohydrates specifically. But we do build in people having free meals, you know, not necessarily che like cheat days, but like a free meals once in a while. And maybe that's more behavioral than it is metabolic to have like a slight calorie surge once in a while. And it, it certainly is. Um, but I am a believer of those things being in someone's plan, fairly planned, because you also, it also teaches you and creates new neuro associations to food. Because when you're eating really well during the week and you're eating clean, whatever that looks like for you individually, and then you go out on Friday with the family and you have pizza and then you feel like bloated and like messy the next day, you're like, man, was that really worth it? It's a powerful thing to start to change neuro associations with food. And, and I think a lot of our food choices are, are driven by our emotions and our connections. So it's a very powerful reinforcement. Um, I can share an experience, not with food, but with um, smoking. So I used to be a smoker for seven years. <laughs> you know, um, I gave up when I was 22. So it's been a while, like almost two decades. But I started, it was because of, of social, a, a social aspect of it, right? You, you hang out with friends, blah, blah, blah. And then I started exercising. And then I realized the impact it has on my exercise performance, especially when I, when I run. Um, I will feel really, really uh, bonked out because if I smoke, you know, that day and that rewired my thinking is like, is it worth it? I'm going to run tomorrow regardless. Now, if I, I can choose not to smoke tomorrow because if I do, I'm, I'm going to suffer later. So then that helped me stay it off. And, and until now I haven't, haven't picked it up again. Um, in fact, I think, I think I have developed uh, an intolerance to cigarette smoke um, because whenever I'm in a close room um, with like smokers, um, I would go through like almost like an asthma attack um, that I can't, I can't breathe. I find it very difficult to breathe. That's powerful. I mean, amazing change to your mindset and of course how that affects your physiology. And that's like where you, you all know this your stuff, body, yeah. you know, yeah. your body, you know how you feel and you know how you should feel. And Sometimes we are in denial, you know, no, no doubt, especially when, well, well, ice cream is good, you know, but every day is like, is it really good? But it feels good. But, you know, that kind of situation where ultimately you just have to go back to your purpose, right? Purpose yeah. and goal. Well, I'll say this too, and I know you know this to be true through your own subjective experience and people listening can probably say the same. 
when you are eating clean foods and you introduce things, it could be food, it could be smoke, it could be whatever, like your system reacts in a more profound way where you get a very loud signal where you're like, whoa, that is definitely different. I don't feel good doing this. And you get that aversion. When people are still eating unhealthy foods and they're in that kind of blah zone where they're just constantly having crap food all the time, they actually, there's so much noise that, that, that they don't get that same whip signal of like, you just kind of just generally feel like blah. Like I think most people, when you eat something, if you're eating healthy, you get a very strong feedback mechanism. And so it's almost like the body gets more sensitive to inflammatory foods when you are in a non-inflammatory state versus when you're just generally in a eating crap foods all the time, feeling blah. It just feels normal to continue on that, like normal bad, but like not normal good. And just, there's a sensitivity that does happen when you clean up your your diet in particular. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I like the fact that you mentioned that you're not prescribed to a particular type of diet. That's no, not carnivore, not vegan. Like, you know, you have a balanced whole foods diet. And, and I think that's where we align with each other because I do believe that unless you have certain intolerance or allergy or, or, or um, diseases that you need to cut out an, a, an entire food group, then there is no reason to because that just adds more variety to your choices, especially nowadays with all these processed food around us. And on Instagram, people always joke about how we can't eat anything these days. Anything will kill us. We already like having a small pool of whole foods to begin with. So let's let's keep that pool as wide as possible so that we can choose all these whole foods. So um, is that is that what you what you believe as well? For sure. Yeah. I mean, in his balance of an approach is it works for somebody. And I do think we all need to kind of discover our own natural intolerances and in which foods do not work well with our particular immune system and what foods make us feel good. And I think there wis there's wisdom to be gained from the extremes of anything. And like, so for example, with carnivore, I think what we can take away is there are a lot of like profoundly nutrient dense animal based foods that people do not react to and could be a part of a, a, a a healthy plan. And like, turns out saturated fat might not be as bad as we thought it was. And turns out that you might be able to eat a lot of red meat, um, you know, in certain contexts in it, and it could be okay for you. And it turns out that there might be some plant-based foods and certain lectins and anti-nutrients like phytic acid that could be damaging. And it also comes down to like preparing things the right way and having more like flexibility. So I think there's wisdom from all these camps. I like to kind of integrate it into an overall plan that takes the best from all the worlds. Uh, my personal take is, uh, I believe that if people can find the, the fruits and vegetables that they enjoy, that help them feel good energetically, you know, with stable blood sugar, I think the fiber is actually, I'm, I'm still on the camp of like, it is good to feed the gut microbiome with prebiotic fibers. And it's like, I'm not like a no fiber kind of guy. Um, but I also think that most people would see health improvements if they did limit the amount of grains that they consume for the most part. And that's why in our plan, it's like, yes, people are having sweet potatoes or maybe some rice on the side of a dinner once in a while, or, you know, maybe some organic sprouted bread in a sandwich. Like if someone can tolerate that, I think those things are totally fine. Um, but if someone can't, they can still fit this kind of lifestyle without having any of those things. So we all got to kind of find our mix and there's not one right solution for everyone. And one of um, our guests, Dan Garner, who was on the podcast before, he posted a post not too long ago about multiple papers that examine different diets in like weight loss or different diets with like, you know, different health out, uh, endpoints. And it just showed that all these different diets, the common, um, the common uh, similarity between these diets that made these diet work 
it was just sustainability. It was adherence. So whatever that you can adhere to and make it the most sustainable diet um, will be the one that makes you feel best and, and will work for you. But then again, you also get the other side where some people, when they are on a just one type of diet, especially when it's a, an extreme diet, like a carnivore diet or a vegan diet, for a, a prolonged period of time, some may experience um, physiological change as they age and they need certain supplementation that they're not getting from the current diet. Then they have to amend and switch around their diet a little bit. For sure. And a lot of these extreme diets do work for a good amount of time for a period of time. So what happens with a lot of people who go plant-based is like they typically clean up their food sources substantially, start eating more like non-processed foods, hopefully, and they end up feeling better. But oftentimes long-term people find that they have different nutrient deficiencies that can develop because it needs to be done really, really well to be long-term. For carnivore people, they feel good because they effectively went on an elimination diet uh, and they're getting calories and they have very satiating foods from the proteins and the fats. But, you know, and, and some people can really run with that long term, but oftentimes they feel like there's there's issues and maybe they threw out the baby with the bathwater. Like maybe those blueberries were, you know, not really the problem and they could incorporate some kind of fruit into the plan too and it'd be total fine. My take is from like more of a physiologic basis is what we want to maintain as we age is great insulin sensitivity which is certainly done through nutrition, but it's also done through strategic exercise. You want to have a calorie balanced, sustainable plan that you can actually stick to. And you want to make sure that you're getting your micronutrients. You need the vitamins, you need the minerals, you need to get those in the diet. Like macros are just not enough. And so it's good to get micros if you have a wide variety of foods. And then I'll also say, I think the research is very clear, like for the, for the benefit of including plant-based foods in there, there are a lot of amazing plant-based foods. Like Stay away from the toxic ones. We have a better understanding today than ever about which ones probably aren't great for us, but there's so many good plant-based compounds that are anti-inflammatory, immune regulating, like just so many good things in there that I, I'm a fan of eating more variety for sure. Such great advice. What advice would you give us for, for us to practically um, maintain sustainability when it comes to lifestyle changes and optimization? Well, I think starting when it, if you got to start thing, that's something that's going to be sustainable for the long haul. So again, like if you start something extreme and you hope it's going to be sustainable, that's kind of like a, a tough way to be. So I think the mindset from day one is fairly important. Um, I think that also to keep the long-term perspective of we are constantly learning and experimenting through our bodies. So like you are on a meta sustainable journey of being healthy and clear and, and fully expressed. And you just came to the realization that, Hey, this intermittent fasting thing that served me for some time is no longer working. So it's, it's not like the rigid mindset that you, that intermittent fasting failed you, but that it's like the evolution of your journey is now to take that knowledge and, and shift it into the next arena and to always continuously be, be learning and growing and have a growth mindset. Basically, I guess you can say is have a growth mindset about what you're trying and, and be fairly objective and scientific. If like, if you're getting feedback from your body, that this is not working, if your poops aren't working if, right. And you have some GI issues that is on a conscious basis, your energy levels are going down, you're having trouble losing fat or gaining muscle, then something's got to change. So that flexibility of always being open and trying new things, which often means putting away some of the dogmatism and just being like open-minded and, and like curious, like the beginner's mindset, the growth mindset, I think is a very good thing. 
I'd say that you're, we're often in just how humans are, we're, we're, we're going to be a byproduct of our environment and the people around us. So insofar as you can surround yourself by healthy friends and healthy communities and other people who are committed to these kinds of things, I think that's a massive impact on sustainability. Like if you live in a household and you're trying to eat healthy and your partner likes to drink every night and like buy a bunch of chips, like that's going to constantly be there for you as a challenge. And it could be a, there could be a good growth and silver lining coming from that. But at the same time, like that is a challenge to overcome. So environment in the people around you, I think is a massive aspect of the sustainability piece. And then also just giving yourself grace and understanding that there are seasons of your life based on demands where you're going to be probably crushing it with your fitness and really on the game. And there's going to be times where you like have to back off just a little bit because things are going on. It's a very high stress work period. I'm not saying stop everything entirely, but your plan has to be flexible and adaptable. Like if we look at the things in nature that are most sustainable, it's not the things that are the most rigid, the most rigid things will snap in a storm, but like a tree that's both dense, but a little rubbery and has some flex in it, like that thing can withstand. And I think if we can model ourselves to, to have that grace and that, that flexibility in both our mindset and in understanding the seasons of life, we're playing a long-term game. You don't win health. You got to show up every single day and keep on doing the best that you can and making the pivots. Yeah. And, and as you were saying, I was, I was laughing because I was thinking about myself having a rigid schedule. And if that, if something turns out, I have to travel or something and that doesn't allow me to, to go through my schedule. It is stressful. You know, it is stressful. I'm like, okay, I don't get to use the same equipment. I don't get to use you know, to work out at the same time or like work out the same duration of, of hours. And, and then I feel like I'm, I'm taking a step back and all my progress is lost. And I just always need to remind myself that, Hey, like this is part and parcel of life. I just have to bake it in and, and adapt because otherwise like it's not going to adapt to me. I have to live life either way. So either I adapt and make myself better or I just wallow in my, you know, in my bedroom. So you're so right. And I think you can, if you're, if we're talking like a systems-based approach to your nutrition and your lifestyle, like you can build in systems and contingencies for like things like travel and in normal disruption. So it's partly the flexible mindset, which is good, but then there's partly like things you can legitimately do. Like, I don't know what you have for breakfast, but if it's an egg-based recipe, you can probably find that somewhere when you're traveling. If it's some kind of shake or something, you can prepack those things in the healthy foods. You can know that you have a simple body weight or band or hotel workout style thing that you can do. And just like, I think more so that we're, we're not no longer chasing like the perfect concept of a routine, like that exact perfect aim. I think the mindset of more like checking boxes is, is it like a better thing where have I checked good nutrition today to some extent? Yes. Have I checked good movement today to some extent? Yes. Have I gotten to sleep at some time? Yes. And like, and maybe you didn't do great today. You have tomorrow, but like that kind of checking the box mindset is better than the perfection mindset. I think, I think that was my problem. I think my problem was because I I'm like, go hard or go home kind of person. So if I'm like going for a workout, I need to work out like, you know, if today is leg day, I need to crush leg day. Um, but then the gym hotel or the hotel gym doesn't have, uh, squat rack for example and i have to just you know adapt and, and improvise and then i'll feel like i'm not as accomplished <laughs> yeah and i mean i think and that's where these that's where our health routines i think can feed up into our mental growth too it's not just like our mental health and our mental well-being affects how good we are with our bodies that's for sure but also the, the acts of tending is is so cool because that gets to give you this experience of of having a little more grace with yourself and relaxing a little bit, which is probably exactly what you need. <laughs> okay. Speaking of exercise, what are the, like, what types of exercise do you use for 
men and women above 40 that are different to people before 40? Yeah, great question. Well, I think the first distinction we draw is we draw a distinction between formal exercise and workouts and daily movement because they are separate things. And I think if people start to conflate those, then we get into the realm of, oh, I don't have the time to exercise. So I just do nothing. And like, that's a big mistake because you mentioned some of the pockets of longevity, the research on the centenarians and where they live. These people are not doing P90X, you know, but they are walking, they're gardening, they're moving. And so the body needs to move to be strong as we age. That being said, we do know that if you do proper strength training and resistance training exercise, you build muscle that's going to help your metabolism and all your metabolic parameters, improve insulin sensitivity, activate those sirtuin genes that are good for longevity. Like strength training, I think is like, I'm kind of getting to the point of like, when it comes to exercise is the key, but you also want to work on like joint friendly movements and also some cardio. So the way, the kind of workouts that we tailor, we call them like metabolic resistance training which is basically taking the foundational movements you need to be good at squats, deadlifts, presses, pulls, overhead stuff, swings, like these foundational movements, you want to be good at 40 and at 80. And we do these in the kind of like a circuit fashion. They are also kind of called kettlebell or dumbbell complex workouts. So maybe you go, you have a pair of dumbbells or kettlebells. You'll do some swings immediately into some squats, immediately into some shoulder presses, immediately into some rows and then push ups. So it's like, you're getting the cardio and strength all in one. And this would be like the catch all workout that is good for people over 40, like strength circuit training, basically strength training. There's many ways to, to do it. Like it could be what I described as like a flow style workout, or it could be like a lot of supersetting on body parts, but you want to like have a lot of good density to your workout in a short period of time. So you, let's say you have a 45 to 65 or 60 minute workout, you're working a lot of different body parts. Um, and, and you're doing a lot of compound based motions and you're modifying those. So they're joint friendly. So let's just say you do have knee injuries from back in sports or whatever, and, and it's not feasible for you to do certain kinds of squats. Well, you can certainly do leg work with hip hinging and other things that are more knee and joint friendly. So we help our members adapt it. So it is very joint friendly. We're a big fan of, of using free weights because the, sta the stability aspect of, of fitness is really good. And even the cognitive aspect of people that do things that involve balance and coordination typically have healthier brains um, as they age. So making sure that people are doing these kind of free weight based, based exercises. And we are also fans of like classic strength training which is basically could be like the, you do a set of squats or, you know, chest press, and then you rest for 60 seconds to two minutes. And then you do another heavy set. I think that's good. And that's good for people who have already reached a level of like leanness. And now they're looking at like building muscle and optimizing their strength function. I think those MRT more dense metabolic strength workouts are more effective for people if they're busy and they need to do like one type of thing. Um, are they also I, better for weight loss? I, 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 I think that they, I think that they net are. Uh, and I think it's like probably like a subtle benefit because you're largely going to be creating your calorie deficit through the nutrition, not on the exercise thing, but I think you are going to have a slightly better thermogenic effect of exercise. I think they're definitely better for your cardiovascular fitness. Like, I mean, they're, they're tremendously harder cardiovascularly, which is a big benefit for people over 40 to get the, get the heart pumping and get that, to get the, the higher zones of training than just like lower intensity strength training. I think both are valuable. Um, but I think all, both strength training and the MRT workouts are going to be helpful for a mix of calorie burning, insulin sensitivity, and all that. But I'd say net, I'd say based on my experience, they are better for weight loss. And you can do them. The cool thing about when you're over 40, your recovery capacity does go down naturally. It's just kind of a part of aging. So you don't need to train every single day. Even doing these workouts like two, three times a week, and they take 30 minutes a pop is sufficient 
Now there's more optimal ways to like really push your fitness, but for a busy parent who just like, I'm juggling a lot. I want to be more fit. If they do MRT workouts, like I described three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for 30 minutes, like, and they're paired with the good nutrition and reasonable sleep habits, they're going to see incredible results. You're asking too much here, you know, busy parents with, with, reg, uh, you know, good sleep schedules. That's, that's a bit difficult, right? Um, especially for, for younger, um, for infants and babies where they wake up every few hours. Now, speaking of, you know, motivation and, and the drive that, how do you motivate your clients to wake up and do all of this? So it's a great question. And it's, it's interesting in terms of how we design our program before we present the nutrition, which is step two in the program. Step one is we have them go through a pretty deep and meaningful reflection and journaling exercise that culminates in writing what we call your fit father or fit mother mission statement. And what we're doing is we're helping people get become very clear and aware of what their core values in life are, the things they really care about. And then to make a powerful connection on how their health is connected to that area. So it's like, how is your health really connected to your ability to show up at work and make a living for your family? How is your health connected to your primary relationship, to being a parent, to your spirituality, to your ability to you know, do whatever hobby you enjoy doing? We're creating powerful neuro associations in this reflection process. And we're also kind of boosting up the pain notes as well. Like if you don't make a change, like what happens? Do the future casting of what your life looks like. We're starting to activate these deeper areas of the brain, primarily like the limbic areas of the brain that are driven a lot of emotion. And we want them to be connected to this healthier lifestyle. And we also know just from the research, like some of the Harvard goal study stuff that people who write their goals down, like have a vast increase in, in their success rate, along as when people have accountability partners. So that's like a two-part thing that we incorporate in the program. One, people end up writing down that reflection in the form of like a mission statement on what they're committed to, the conscious costs of what they're going to give up, why this is important, how it connects with their overall life. They write that down. They put it in their in their environment on the fridge, in the bathroom. And they so they're kind of booby-trapping their environment with this powerful declaration of why they want to live healthier. Now, they still need to get into the dojo and go ahead and, and do the work. And so that's part of like how we structure the program with like daily check-ins and accountability. Me and a whole team of coaches and trainers are, are checking in with people. And then what's cool is everyone's in a group, in a shared group um, inside our app. And so people are able to like connect and see and, and see other people like pushing through tough times and sharing vulnerable things. So I think this idea of community is powerful because it creates that healthier environment where people tend to thrive in. So it's, it's, it's a multifaceted aspect. It's partly personal and internal through doing some deep reflection work. It's partly through the structure of the program that's checking in and giving bite-sized things. And it's also through the environment and community. This is amazing. Yeah. You get the community, you get the accountability, you get your own reflective sort of individual end of one sort of individual work uh, done. I think that's great advice. I think people, you know, who, who want to start themselves, they can start doing it themselves, you know, if they already have those aspects. Um, in terms of stress management, I think stress is somewhat underrated. Uh, a lot of people talk about stress, but it's also a very intangible thing because stress is different for everyone and different people will have different lifestyles that contributes to the stress. So how do you advise your clients to manage stress, especially, you know, young parents? Yeah. I mean, young parents is a, is a certain thing because I think our, our big reservoir for, for when stress really gets us is when stress starts to affect our sleep 
and then we lose this whole restorative half where like you can have, if you're resting well and you have good rest and recovery, your body and your mind can handle a pretty tremendous amount during the waking hours. It's just when that sleep component starts to go that everything else kind of starts to get magnified, let alone the whole metabolic parameters. Like you become intolerant, more intolerant to glucose and cortisol levels are higher. And then you have all this physiologic stuff that happens when you're not sleeping well. So I I'd say partly it starts with like a really good circadian rhythm is a, is a good part. So what I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer. And I think the research is going to continue to come out on how important this is of people as much as possible seasons permitting, you know, staying in contact with the, with the sun cycle. So this means like getting outside and getting morning sunshine. Um, and this could be, you take a phone call while you're walking, or maybe you have the ability, maybe it's only on weekends. Like I understand you might be too busy to get this, but what it, what I actually know happens is when you get morning sunshine on your skin and in your eyes, it actually causes the brain to release serotonin, which makes us feel great. It feels connected and it actually smooths out that morning cortisol spike too, as well. So there's a great physiologic benefit to getting connected with morning sunshine. And then of course at night, when, when the sun is going down to really protect your melatonin, I'm sure you've talked a lot about blue light and just generally like cutting down light at night and, and having some kind of like sleep hygiene at night. Like, I think the first way to approach stress to, before we get into like the, the whole philosophical and psychological, how do you relate to every moment in your life? And like the psychology of it is more like, let's make sure the physiology of a routine morning and evening is as nailed as possible. And it's not surprising if you're a, if you're a young parent with kids, that kind of goes a little bit out the window. And I think that's why it's such a incredibly challenging time. And so if you can do any things perhaps to bolster up your nervous system, if you're in that kind of phase of, of needing to create more nervous system resiliency. So maybe some tactical things about trading shifts with your partner, um, catching up on sleep through naps in, in some way, shape or form can be very helpful. Taking herbs that can be helpful for more nervous system resiliency, like ashwagandha or rhodiola could be helpful. Increasing magnesium intake perhaps. Um, and also maybe scaling back your exercise too, and understanding that exercise itself and like maybe just the intensity of it, right. Is a, is a strain on the nervous system. So if you're a parent who's young and you have young kids and you're not sleeping a lot, and then you go try to do CrossFit when you're like tapped out, that's going to be like net worse for you than if you did some restorative yoga or even took a nap for that matter. So I guess like always checking in and understanding our nervous system. Thankfully, we have a lot of tools with things like HRV and, and sleep scores now that people can like manage that and, and start to make some more auto regulation decisions on what kind of exercise they do. And then for me personally, which I guess I can share is uh, one thing that it took me a while to get into the groove of, and now I can't stop basically is, is meditation. And I think a mindfulness practice where I have a meditation chair, where I'd say almost every day I'm sitting down in the morning for at least five minutes. But if I have the time, it could be substantially longer than that. Um, you know, and I'm just getting still, I'm being becoming observant of my breath with a straight spine and I'm just feeling into my body. And I think the way you start your day uh, is very helpful because it creates a, a mental frame. And so for some people, they might find this kind of presence and mindfulness practice when they're out running. And I think that's great for me personally. I think there's a deeper cut of it. If you can actually get still close your eyes and kind of just sink into your breath and, and do meditation morning and evening is, is what I do now. And I think that's changed the way my formerly racing mind is calmed down and my nervous system, I think is, is more calibrated towards this more relaxed state. So things that used to stress me out don't because I've observed my mind long enough. And a lot of those thoughts have dissipated. Um, and then I'll say too, it's like the combination of overusing stimulants and not sleeping enough is a way to create a very uh, busy mind. So I wish there was a, a simple clear cut direction. I think that's part of the journey we're all walking here is how to, how to, how to manage our own psychology. Um, and there's a lot of practices that work. 
Uh, I, I'll say again, cold plunging has helped me too. I have a cold plunge at my house. And I think that's just something that gives you a very physiologic stress that gives you more nervous system resiliency. So that's helpful as well. How long do you cold plunge for? Minutes. And I think my temperature, I'm getting a little soft. It used to be in the thirties. It's about 40, 45 now. For it's about three minutes. still, it's still like, I mean, people would, would do, people would do like what? 50, 60. Yeah. So I, and, and I've gotten a lot better with it. My system now is like, don't even feel the shock when I get in now, but I do know that like, it's a lot harder to cold plunge if I haven't had a good sleep or my nervous system's a little taxed. So mm -hmm. it's a good indicator of how well my system's working. There you go. And, and for those of you who are listening and or watching, I'm sure you have more questions for, for Anthony here. So if they want to find out more about you, where can they find you and ask questions? Wow. Well, first off, thank you. This was really fun. I know we covered a lot in this hour. Um, fitfatherproject.com is our men's website and fitmotherproject.com is our women's website. So you can find out about me and our programs and our offerings there. If you're interested in some of the stuff I was sharing beyond that, our YouTube channel is a, is a wonderful place to connect. I mean, between the two channels, we might have close to like 800 videos and, and a lot of amazing stuff. Um, and I, I can be found there certainly in the comments. Um, and there's also contact forms on the website. I don't actually have personal social media. So maybe this is one of the reasons why I'm so happy and not super stressed, but I do have business social media. So you can find us at fit father project or fit mother project on whatever social media outlet you do use. Um, and of course, if you do use the contact forms on the website, those messages will come to my team and ultimately me. There you go. Um, again, Anthony, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experience um, and your passion for sure, uh, you know, helping mothers and fathers to get fit and even helping people in general to, to live a healthier um, life as we age as well. So uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks a lot.